0: Tonight is May the 13th, 2015. Uh, We're going to start off our our teaching in Judges chapter 4. So if you'll turn to Judges 4 for me. Judges chapter 4. We're going to just jump right into it. Appreciate JJ leading worship tonight. That was excellent. Excellent. Love being a part of a church where there are so many folks who can be so interchangeable, on so many different things that impact the kingdom. Uh, this is, this is a, a great thing here. Uh, Judges chapter 4. And we're going to start reading in verse 1. Everybody say, there, when you are there. Yeah. Verse 1. After Ehud died, the Israelites once again did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Unfortunately, when you read throughout the Old Testament, you'll find a lot of statements like this. There are cycles of people doing really well in the Lord, uh, then doing really terribly in the Lord, crying out to God, He delivers them, they do fine for a while, and then after they do fine for a while, they start doing really, really poorly again. It is this almost unending cycle throughout the Old Testament. Um, if you will look just back in Judges chapter 3, the, the chapter right before it, um, we're gonna read a few verses. We're focusing in on chapter 4, but it says, after Ehud died, the Israelites once again did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So let's just read just very quickly about him. Um, oh, let's start in verse 20, just to give us, um, we'll just kind of jump into that story. Ehud then approached him. He was approaching the king while he was sitting alone in the upper room of his summer palace and said, I have a message from God for you. Um, as the king rose from his seat, Ehud reached with his left hand. This was the the particular part about him and his story that made it interesting, right? All the lefties in the house are like, yeah, come on, lefty, right? They had uh, The Lord had told him and he brought some men with him to go make this tribute to this evil king. Um, And this is, we see this, verse 21, he reached with his left hand, drew the sword from his right thigh and plunged it into the king's belly. Even the handle sank in after the blade, which came out his back. He who did not pull the sword out... (laughs) And the fat closed in over it. Uh, everybody say, that's gross. So this king was a big old boy, right? Then Ehud went out to the porch. He shut the doors in the upper room behind him and locked them. After he had gone, the servants came in and found the doors of the upper room locked. They said, the king must be indisposed. He must be relieving himself in the inner room of the house. Uh, they waited to the point of embarrassment. But when he did not open the doors of the room, they took a key and unlocked them. There they saw their Lord fallen to the floor dead. While they waited Yehu got away, he passed by the idols and escaped to Sarai. While he was there, he blew a trumpet in the hill country of Ephraim and the Israelites went down with him from the hills with him leading them. Follow me, he ordered, for the Lord has given Moab, your enemy, into your hands. So they followed him down and taking possession of the fords of the Jordan that led to Moab, they allowed no one to cross over. At that time, they struck down about 10,000 Moabites all vigorous and strong. (laughs) Just in case you were wondering. Like, these weren't the weak guys. These were their best. Not a man escaped. That day Moab was made subject to Israel and the land had peace for 80 years. Everybody say 80 80 years. It's a long time. It's a long time to think about. So from twice as long as I've been alive, because of this one act of this man who dispersed of his enemies... There was 80 years of peace in Israel. Verse 31. We'll go ahead and then we'll, and then we'll catch up. After Ehud came Shamgar. Everybody say Shamgar. Like a Shamwow or something. Son of Anath who struck down 600 Philistines with an ox goad. <laughs> I love the next sentence. He too saved Israel. By the way, killed 600 people with a pole. Yeah, he saved them. I love that. Just And that's all, we, <laughs> that's all we know. And then we get to verse 1 of chapter 4. And he who died, the Israelites once again did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So we've been 80 years since this incident in the last chapter. We've had a lot of time for people to go, hey, that becomes part of our past. That's our history. Boy, that's neat. But we're going to kind of just fall back into habits. We're going to fall back into things that we had done before. Verse 2, so the Lord sold them <laughs> into the hands of Jabin, a king of Canaan who reigned in Hazor. So the Lord sold them. Huh. That's an interesting word when you look that up. Um, Keep your place there and turn to Genesis chapter 25. We'll see another use of this same word. Genesis chapter 25. Let me know when you're there. Verse 29. We're very familiar with this story. For those of you who come on Monday nights, this was several weeks ago, a couple of months ago that we studied this chapter. Verse 29, Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, Quick, let me have some of uh, that red stew. I'm famished. That is why he was also called Edom, meaning red. Jacob replied, First sell me your birthright. Same word that we see that the Lord sold Israel into the hands in the uh, hands of this wicked group of people, Jacob says, "First, sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die. What good is it? That this birthright to me? He saw no value in what God had done for him and what God had intended for him. But Jacob said, "Swear to me first, so he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Uh, keep holding your place in judges and turn to Psalms chapter 105. This chapter seems to come up a lot lately, so we're going to come back. Mainly because of our studies on Monday night as well. Psalms 105. Verse 17. Let's start in verse 16. He called down famine on the land and destroyed all their supplies of food. And he sent a man before them, Joseph, Sold as a slave. They bruised his feet with shackles. His neck was put in irons. Pastor Eric did a great job on an iron man. If you haven't heard the iron man story yet, or you don't know what that comes from, then find somebody who's in on a Monday night, Foundations, who was there, and get their notes. An iron man. His neck was put in irons till what he foretold came to pass, till the word of the Lord proved him true. Back to Judges chapter 4. So the Lord sold them into the hands, verse 2, of Jabin, a king of Canaan who reigned in Hazor. Verse, um, oh, continue on. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Harosheth Hagoyim, uh, the land of the Gentiles here. Because he had 900 iron chariots and he had cruelly opposed the Israelites for 20 years, they cried to the Lord for help. So if you think about it, from the time of this story in the Previous chapter from Ehud, you're now at a hundred years past that. An entire century past God getting victory in their life. Verse 3, because he had 900 iron chariots. I I just started thinking about that. I was like, having a lot of chariots reminded me of another story out of Exodus. When you look in the story of Exodus in Exodus chapter 14, it actually says that Pharaoh only sent 600 of his best chariots to chase the entire nation horse and the rider got thrown into the sea on that day. Here, we're talking about 900 chariots. So the people, (laughs) that's listed as what was oppressing them. The force of this one man, Jabin, his king, and this army leader, Sisera, and having 900 iron chariots. What are the chariots in your life? I mean, obviously we know as believers that we're going to get to the point where, uh, I'm going to give you the sneak peek, God's going to win in this chapter. The 900 chariots aren't going to be nearly enough for what God has. What I don't understand sometimes about the people of Israel and what I don't understand about myself sometimes is if God did it with 600 and took care of 600, why is it that much harder to believe that He would take care of it with 900? Is anything too hard for our God? Can anything be so difficult? But if He did it then, why wouldn't we just presume? Why isn't our default (laughs) that He will take care of us Versus the fear and the insecurity that says, perhaps he won't do it this time. I mean, I know he did it then. But how quickly I forget in my own life, he did it then. Why is now any different? I actually had a great discussion with somebody um, today during a uh, right at the end of a staff meeting that I had, and that was what, what they were talking about. They are like, you know, there's something about, it was a job-related thing. And they were saying, for some reason this stresses me out. Like I literally wait, uh, lay awake at night and worry about this thing. I'm like, Huh. I just presume that if God is it has this in, in motion and has this confronting us as a company, it's something that could damage our very company from the outside, an external force. So we're just looking at it, and she's going, "It, it bothers me, Mike. It, it just doesn't bother me. I, I believe that I don't have an answer for this yet, but I'm believing that God will show me, or He'll show you, or He'll show someone on our team exactly what we need to do to overcome this enemy." And in the process, God's going to get glory. It's going to make us better because these people can't stop what I'm doing. I don't care who they are. I don't care what they're doing. I don't care that they have 900 chariots. I don't, don't, aren't you worried that your job is in danger? Nope. I, I'm, just, I'm just not going to worry about it because I remember what God has done. And whether it's 900 or 9,000 or 900,000, I'm just not going to fret over this. Turn, um, again, hold your place here. Turn to Psalms chapter 20. Just a few verses here. Psalms chapter 20 and verse 7. Oh, I'm looking in 21.7. That's why I was like, well, this is a good verse, but it's not what I was thinking. That is what I'm thinking about. 27, 20, chapter 20, verse 7. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we, tr- we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Amen? Some put their trust in their own strength and their own obvious ability to conquer, that's not what we put our, our strength and our hope in. Uh, turn to Psalms chapter 68. Just flip over a few pages. Psalms 68 and verse 17. <laughs> we worry about hundreds of chariots, right? Hundreds, 900. Ooh, that's really scary. Psalm sixty-eight seventeen says, The chariots of God are tens of thousands, and thousands of thousands, okay? So if you have tens of thousands, wow, that's a lot. If you have hundreds of thousands, man, super big army. The most uh, I could see listed in the Bible in my quick studies today was about 32,000 chariots that the enemy had, and God routed them that day. So if, let's just say 32,000 was the biggest group that they had. Here, we're saying thousands of thousands, can y'all help me translate it to modern day numbers? How many is that? Millions. One million dollars, right? It's millions. You, sh- you shouldn't know where that came from. Just making sure you're awake, that's all. Chariots of God are tens of thousands and thousands of thousands. Like, folks, um, God has enough to take care of you. Knowing that anyone Uh, who is it, the one angel that defeated an entire army, of what, 180,000 men or something, whatever it was? One angel. I'm going to think that millions of chariots from my God are going to be able to take care of me. But I'm not going to try to do that in an intellectual way. Man, yeah, millions, woo! And go out and live my life as if he's not going to take care of me. And go out and live my life as if he's not going to fulfill his purposes in me. As if if all I have to... (laughs) This is so simple. I'm sorry this is such a simple word tonight. This is what i got for you. If you just obey, keep your heart and your hands pure, don't you think that God can do what He needs to do in your life? But but they don't see what... I don't care what people see about you. I don't care what you see in the mirror. If you'll just act in faith, God will cause... He can cause tens of thousands and thousands of thousands of chariots to be at your side if you need to. This is the God who can cause a sun to stand still in the middle of the universe to help his people win. This is the God that can do anything. And we say it, but there's a difference that we all have to be reminded and refreshed in our spirit that it's not just what we say as believers, it's actually the way we live. I'm just not going to fret. I'm, I'm just not going to do it. I've been doing this too long, and when I do fret, I go, God, um, please help me in my unbelief. Because what I don't want to do is, is challenge you, is deny your actual ability because I'm sitting here having trouble with something. I can't see how this is going to work out. I don't have the answer. Oh, Lord, we don't know what we're going to do, but what are we going to do? We're going to keep our eyes on you. That's what the scripture says. What is it in your life that you keep fretting over that God's just saying, um, I'm either big enough or not. I'm either God in your life or not. I'm not trying to lessen the struggle that you're in. I'm trying to show you how big the God is. Pastor Eric has brought this forth a couple of times. In comparison, Pastor Matt is much taller than I am. In comparison from us to the sun, it's completely negligible. We might as well both be nothing in comparison to 93 million miles from here to the sun. If you put a big enough enough distance between this, all these little differences that we have don't matter. So we see a God here. (laughs) They're worried about 900 chariots. 900 chariots and an evil heart are what do these people in for 20 years. For the adults in the room, where were you 20 years ago? So where were you 20 years ago? I mean, I can remember. I can remember stories from college and I can remember... Uh, trying to start a bible study about 20 years ago in my college marching band when i became the drum major of the group i mean i remember that i remember people laughing at me it was awesome i remember the directors laughing at me the directors of the band they were like you're kidding right no we that we were we were having a um an excursion after the first home game that we played at lsu in tiger stadium that year it was against auburn fantastic game we beat him. It was great. Um, the next morning, so we, had, we have a, a football game. We go back to the band hall. We do certain things. We watch film to, to see what we need to get better at. If you messed up, they call you out in the middle of the video. Who is that? And they make fun of you, and they chastise you, and you, know, you learn, and then you clean up the band room, and then you go home. So it's about 1 o'clock before I get home. Well, the next morning, we went down to the New Orleans Saints game. Um, they had an arrangement, and so we would go play in the Superdome. And I was like, well, Hey. We're all gonna miss church because we have to be on the bus at six AM to go down to New Orleans. And we would get there into the to the superdome, and it was early enough that they actually had a cloud at the top of the superdome inside. Because it was so cold when the eighty thousand people got there later on in the day, they had to like freeze it out so that the temperature would kind of level out when people got there. So we'd get there and I was like, Hey, I wanna do a Bible study on the on the grounds, on the field in the New Orleans Superdome. I mean, it is Saints, right? You know? So they were like You're kidding? It's like no, I'm really not. It. I remember 20 years ago. Like I can remember some of those things. Ended up having like 25 people. I thought that was the best thing ever. I was like, Lord, look at what you're doing. People were literally walking by, laughing. It was good. It was good for us. Mocking us, laughing at us. You're like, yeah, this is good. We're gonna keep rocking and rolling. These people had been under the enemy's thumb for 20 years. Unfortunately, I know people who have been dealing with the same issues for the last 20 years. I know people who have been going through the same struggles for the last 20 years. I know people who have been defeated by the enemy in a certain area of their life. I'm not saying they're not believers. I'm talking about us. I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about us. 20 years fighting with the same fears. Sounds a little bit different when we say it that way, doesn't it? Uh, Oh, well, that's just... How is it that we have these iron chariots in our life that are causing us the same fear, the same destruction that it did 20 years ago. Perhaps we've forgotten that we have a God, even in that difficult area in your life, who has tens of thousands of chariots and thousands of thousands. His forces are so overwhelming compared to what we lack. It can't even be measured. It is not a problem. That's why the Bible says, is there anything too difficult for our Lord? Is there anything too big for Him to handle? No, we know that. Let me encourage you tonight. What is it that you've been dealing with for a long period of time? 20 days, 20 weeks, 20 months, 20 years, 60. I don't care. What is it that's been conquering you? Let's see what God does here. Because He had 900 iron chariots and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years, they cried to the Lord for help. <laughs> Sometimes it takes me a long time to cry out to the Lord, too. Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at that time. I have a few questions about that, but I'm glad for Deborah. I'm glad for people like Deborah. I am so glad that God will use anyone, and he, He uses a woman. If anybody thinks our culture tries to speak against the Bible, because it puts men in leadership in a home, but it doesn't negate the effectiveness of a woman in a home. This doesn't take place in cultures around the world. Can I I encourage you that? There are other religions that this would never happen with. And it's documented and it's written here that Deborah, a prophetess, in the midst of an evil generation, she was leading Israel. Verse 5, she held court under the palm of Deborah. (laughs) Yeah, got named after her. Between Ramah and Bethel. Huh? It's an interesting placement. Between Rama, which means height, it's the place where Samuel. We find out we we read uh, Hannah on Sunday. It's a place where that was. Turn to Jer- hold your place there in Judges. Turn to Jeremiah chapter thirty-one. Jeremiah thirty-one, <clears throat> verse fifteen. This is what the Lord says. A voice is heard in Ramah, mourning and great weeping, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because her children are no more. In Matthew, we hear that same that same verse echoed, Matthew chapter two. Between Ramah and Bethel, Bethel means the house of God. Turn to Genesis chapter twelve. I will not dig deeply into these things because really our Monday nights catch a lot of these, right? It really catches a lot of... Uh, we've talked extensively about Bethel. We've talked extensively about some of these things, so I'm just touching base. Um, if you don't come on Monday nights, I want to encourage you as often as you can, come. You'll never regret coming. You'll never regret hearing and learning from the Lord. Um, um, Genesis chapter 12 and verse 8 Verse 6, Abraham traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree at Moriah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued toward the Negev. You can see Bethel come back in chapter 13 and chapter 28 and a lot of different places. So, this is where we're talking about, where this, with this history that is there, back to Judges. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the Israelites came to her to have their dispute settled. She sent for Barak, the son of Abinoam, from Kadesh in Naphtali. And said to him, "The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you." So Deborah has heard from the Lord, and she is going to instruct this man. Go, take with you ten thousand men of Naphtali and Zebulun, and lead the way to Mount Tabor. I will lure Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops, to the Kishon River, and give him into your hands. there's only so long that any enemy of the Lord will be allowed to stand in front of you. This is not Deborah. This is God speaking through Deborah and saying, okay, I've heard the cries of my people. Enough is enough. This is what I want you to do. Take 10,000 men from Naphtali and Zebulun and go lead them. Lead them, Barak. Stand up and do what you're supposed to do. Verse 8. Barak said to her, if you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. <laughs> um, so, so what makes Barack afraid to just go and do exactly what the Lord has done? The last part of verse 7 says, The Lord is saying to him, and he will give these people into your hands. He has destined their destruction. Oh, I'm not sure if I can do it. Can you come with me? Come on, come with me. Would, would you, would you come hold my hand, please? Right? Um, this, when I read this, it immediately reminded me of Exodus 33. Exodus 33 and verse 15. I'll just read it to you really quickly because it's a familiar passage. Then Moses said to the Lord, uh, let's start in verse 14. The Lord replied, My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Everybody say, He will give us rest. Verse 15. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, Do not send us up from here. There's a difference when you're crying out to the Lord and saying, Lord, if you don't go with me, I'm not going. Lord, I need your presence to go with me. I can I can assure you that there have been too many times in my life where I decided to go do something and the Lord's presence wasn't with me. Or I was in the middle of it going, "Mm, I wish I would have prayed more. Golly, I'm kind of in it now. Lord, please come and save me because I've stepped into something that maybe you even haven't really spoken to me about. I took something that I heard, that I thought, that I felt, never inquired of the Lord and just went out and did something. But I love this idea. I'm in a place in my life where this passage comes up almost daily. Lord, if you're not with me, I can't do what's in front of me. I, I mean, I can't. That's not a, um, um, a platitude. I mean, I, I really think I can, but I know I'm supposed to say that I can't. No, I actually can't. I cannot fulfill everything that I'm supposed to do unless you are with me. Unless your spirit empowers me, I can't do it. It's amazing how comfortable you get with that after a while, going, oh, this is what you wanted for me 20 years ago, (laughs) to go, I can't do this. Yes, you're right. And I'm calling you to do it. And I'm expecting you to do it. Lord, if your presence doesn't go with me, how am I supposed to do this? I I don't have enough hours in the day. I don't have enough capacity. I I don't have enough anything to be able to do it, and yet... There's an assurity because he says my presence will go with you. Lord, you promised Moses that you'd go with him. Lord, would you go with me? Would you go before me? Would you open the doors that I can't open by myself? Would you close the doors that will harm me or my family? Would you just take care of me because I can't do it? It's so freeing. It's so liberating. Lord, I want to change the world for you. And it's not about me at all. It's one of those both ands, Right? I will charge hell with a thimble full of water. Yep, I will. And I realize there's nothing about my strength or even my determination. And yet, I want to be completely determined and completely committed. It's the both and of this. Back to Judges. Brock says, if you, if you go with me, I'll go. If you come and help me, I'll go do God's will. If they'll only recognize who I really am, then I can do God's will. Hmm. What does Deborah respond? V- verse 9, very well. <laughs> Deborah said, I will go with you. I, I don't know exactly how old Deborah was at this time. I'm sorry, I didn't get a chance to, to figure that out today. I don't know if Deborah was, in my mind, she's older. I don't know why. She could be very young, and, and I'm completely messing this up. Whether she was young or old, I love the fact that she says, all right, I'll go with you out to the battlefield. She's a prophetess. She's a judge. She sits down under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel and makes decisions and goes, nope, yep, nope, uh uh-uh, definitely not. And she's going to go out to the battlefield because she heard what the Lord said. So she's like, yeah, I'll go with you. I will go with you, but because of the way you're going about this, the way that you're going about this We can do things for the Lord or try to do things for the Lord and decide the way we want to do it and the way that we go about it actually matters. You cannot ever accomplish godly purposes by using ungodly means. The ends do not justify the means in Christianity. Right? That's the way the world does it. As long as it works out okay, we're fine. No, God is always about us doing it a prescribed way. (laughs) In this case... Barak is weak, and, he, and and the Lord sends Deborah to help. I will go with you, but because of the way you're going about this, the honor will not be yours, for the Lord will hand Sisera over to a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh, where he summoned Zebulun and Naphtali. Ten thousand men followed him, and Deborah also went with him. It's great. Ten thousand and one, right? Now, Heber, the Kenite, had left the other Kenites, the descendants of Hoab, Moses' brother-in-law, and pitched his tent by the great tree in Zananim near Kadesh. When they told Sisera that Barak, son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sisera gathered together his 900 iron chariots and all the men with him from Harosheth Hagoyim to the Kishon River. So he got he got all his boys with him. Took all 900 of them. He didn't select, like it says, Pharaoh selected the top, the, the choice 600. And he's like, let's bring them all. All the men, let's go. Then Deborah said to Barak, Go, this is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. (laughs) Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? Um, One of the the words when you look it up, has not the Lord gone ahead of you? is Actually, has not the Lord shown His face upon you in this moment? (laughs) The Lord be gracious to you and cause His face to shine upon you. There's a blessing that comes from the law that, that is this. It's hinting back at some of these things. It says, you, you just need the Lord to shine His face upon you. You just need to walk in a way where He can be pleased with who you are and what you're doing. This day, the Lord has shined His face upon you. Has not the Lord gone before you? Let me encourage you guys. I think the Lord is going before us as a church. He is walking before us. This is a heavy season. We've got Pastor Eric, who's dealing with his sister, that troubles my heart. That burdens me, for her soul, for her body, for the family. It it, it burdens me because it's burdening, burdening my friend. We have people that we are constantly praying for that are literally life and death, a part of our church. Let me encourage you not to get weary in praying. Let me encourage you not to get weary in actually being bold and stepping forward. Lord, I don't don't even know what all this is about, Lord. And yet, here we go. Have you not gone before us? Have you not told us certain things? We can get weary, but we cannot lose our forward momentum. We cannot lose our forward step of going, this is what you said, Lord. I'm not enough on my own. We can't go by ourselves. We need you to go with us. We need you to go before us. This is the day the Lord has given Sisera Sisera into your hand. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? I realized um, I've been looking back at previous sermons that we have online and I'm trying to listen to, sometimes I have a rhyme or reason, sometimes I just scroll in my podcast and I scroll up and just kind of hit one. You know, just, oh, that looks interesting. <laughs> and I realized for a while that um, Pastor Eric is good at naming his sermons. I'm, I'm still struggling with that sometimes. I'm like, I'll give a name and it, I never get around to why I did the name. You know, whatever. And I realized that the first couple of times that I spoke here including before I got here, they were all questions. I was like, I do questions a lot, why do I do that? That's weird, you know? I guess for me, the questions helped me to figure things out even better than statements. When I was in my 20s, um, I thought that I knew a lot of stuff. When I got to my 30s, I realized I wasn't sure that I knew anything, and I wasn't even sure if I was asking the right questions. So in my 30s, I was like, am I asking the right questions? if I ask the right questions, then we can get to the right answer, right? This is a great question. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? Don't you think the Lord is prepared for you? Don't you think the God of all creation cares about you and your family and is making preparations? If, he, if not, a sparrow can fall to the ground without him knowing it. Don't you think, Steve, that he knows about your situation? Yes. Don't, don't, you think, don't you think, Mario, that God is big enough to handle anything that's going on in your life? I know he is, and you know he is. And yet, we still have this struggle that has to be reminded of he's got more than enough to take care of us in our situation. So, Barak went down Mount Tabor, followed by 10,000 men. At Barak's advance, the Lord routed Sisera. I'm going to read the beginning of part of verse 15. If you underline in your Bible, I'm going to ask that you underline these two little phrases. Highlight it, underline it, circle it, write it in a notebook. At Barak's advance, the Lord routed. At the movement of the man that was told what to do, when he did what he was supposed to do, the Lord did what he was supposed to do. When we do what we are told to do, God will do the rest, and He'll actually do all of it. At Barak's advance, the Lord routed them. Sisera and all his chariots and army by the sword, and Sisera abandoned his chariot and fled on foot. The things that are conquering you, the very things that are keeping you down, when we advance the Lord routes. The word route there, um, uh, Hamam, H-A-M-A-M, it's number 2,000, and the strongs, it means to confuse, to make noises, it actually, You know what it actually refers to in the original? It actually refers to the noise made by wheels of chariots. So what they were using to keep the people of God down, you know what He did? <laughs> he routed them, but the implication is, is that it got really noisy like huge chariots. Perhaps like thousands upon thousands of chariots coming at them. Perhaps the very thing that they were trying to make the people of God afraid by, is the very type of thing that God used to rout the enemy. At Barak's advance, the Lord routed Sisera. Man, I can't wait for the Lord to just route some things for people in here. I can't wait for Him to route it. I can't wait for Eliana to be standing up here by this, running around and us praying over her as she runs off to class. I can't wait for God to route some of the things that the enemy is trying to do in our lives. I can't wait... For uh, for Riley to be completely healed, can't wait for it to be routed in their life. I can't wait. I can't wait for Curtis and Mary to be uh, Curtis to be married. I can't say it right now. (laughs) To be married, I can't wait. I can't wait to God will see what to see what God will do with them. He will rout the enemies before them. Like I mean, routed. Um, I I think of this. uh, We had some of these young, fine young men over to our house the other night for uh, my son's kind of birthday celebration. And there was one young man in particular, uh, a certain hall in particular, who, who was there in my house, in my living room. We had moved the Xbox into the living room on the big screen, and there was a certain young man who was routing other people. In a game, in a fine game, back from my day, Uh, called Street Fighter. You can come over and play, Curtis. It's all right. You might want to do that before you get married because you won't have permission after. So (laughs) It's all right. Come on. Uh, Michael routed me. He was like, and and his enthusiasm was, I, I almost got lost in just how good and how effective he was at routing me. Now, I would like to say there was some other routing going on. But in this case, um, he completely annihilated me. I mean, like, not even close. Like, if I was at, you know, in my younger day, I might have gotten upset how bad I got beat, but I was like, man, he he just thrashed me. I can't even get upset. Well done. You know? When the Lord comes in to defeat, he does it over the top. He does it so completely. He does it so thoroughly. He doesn't leave... One stone unturned. He doesn't leave one bad guy lurching around. Verse 16, But Barak pursued the chariots and army as far as Herosheth Hagoyim. Where's that? Oh yeah, that's where he's from. He chased the enemy all the way back to his home. All the troops of Sisera fell by the sword. Not a man was left. Wow. The 10,000 men under Barak's leadership completely destroyed the entire army that was coming against them. All 900 iron chariots. You know what they are now? They're just uh, big old paperweights. They're just big old uh, trophies strewn across the battlefield. Verse 17, Sisera, however, fled on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber, the Kenite, because they were friendly relations between Jabin, king of Hazor, and the clan of Heber, the Kenite. Verse 18, Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Come, my Lord, come right in. Don't be afraid. So he entered her tent and she put a covering over him. So she's hiding this general. I'm thirsty, he said. Please give me some water. She opened a skin of milk, gave him a drink and covered him. Oh, she she tucked him in. Just tucked him right in. little warm milk. Probably sang a song to him. Really sweet. That's so sweet. Verse 20. Stand in the doorway of the tent, he told her. If someone comes by and asks you, is anyone here? Say no. Okay, thanks. Brilliant plan, right? Genius. Don't tell him I'm here. Gotcha. Genius. You're a coward is what you are. Verse 21. But Jael, Heber's wife, picked up a tent peg and a hammer and went quietly to him while he lay fast asleep, exhausted. She drove the peg through his temple into the ground, and he died. I know I'm not supposed to like this, but I really, really do. She tucked him in bed, gave him more milk to make sure he went fast asleep. Clink! What? Nailed it, right? Thanks, that was good. But Jael, Hebrew's wife, picked up a tent peg and a hammer, went quietly to him while he lay fast asleep, exhausted. She drove the peg through him into the ground, and he died. Can I remind you that his untimely, or actually perfectly timed, uh, demise here, this was the man who had cruelly oppressed them for 20 years. This was the man who controlled the 900 chariots that put God's people, put their knees knocking caused their constitution to give way, made them completely afraid. This this man, who's now asleep, tucked in nicely, was the one causing all the fear. He was cruelly oppressing them. But at the moment that God appoints for it, the people of God, this young lady, Jael, finished him. In between snoring, done. Done can I encourage you, whatever that you're going through that feels oppressive in your heart, if it's that when you fight with your own thoughts, if it's when you fight with your own insecurities, if it's when you fight with your own problems that you have not yet been able to conquer, can I tell you, <laughs> this is a pretty easy way to finish off this guy, right? Let me, let me have just a little girl come in and just finish this guy off. It's because God... Had ordained it, he had said it, and people had enough faith to act on it. Verse twenty-two. Brett came by in pursuit of Sisera, and Jael went out to meet him. <laughs> Did, I wonder if she had the hammer in her hand. Hi, Brett. How's it going, <laughs> sir? Great to see you. Hey, uh, come. I'll show you the man you're looking for because he's not going to be moving anytime soon. I will show you the man you're looking for. So he went in with her and there lay Sisera with a tent peg through his temple, dead. (laughs) In case you didn't get that. Just in case you thought he had the nail in his temple and he was still, he's dead. Just to make sure. Completely expired. Verse 23, on that day, God subdued Jabin, the Canaanite king, before the Israelites. And the hand of the Israelites grew stronger and stronger against Jabin, the Canaanite king, until they destroyed him. This was a battle with a general. Jabin was the king. There was a battle that completely annihilated at least um, um, Sisera's part of the army. No more 900 chariots, because he had taken them all out to meet the people of God. And what does it say? The hand of the Israelites grew stronger and stronger against this evil king. The tide was turned. The battle was won, and yet they had to go out and later destroy Jabin. Let me encourage you not to stop until you pursue the enemy all the way out as far as God has for you. When God gives you a great victory, don't stop there. How many times do you read about it when when David slew Goliath? You know what happened right after that? They went and chased him down. Uh, We've heard you got some brothers Let's go get them too. Um, uh, there's still some roots of maybe something in my heart that, that God hasn't fully dealt with. Go deal with that. When God gives you a victory at an altar, go deal with all of it. When God gives you something that He's spoken to you, you go pursue it out. It, there's no indication other than this is what the right thing to do. I'm sure God spoke through Deborah, but there are no scriptures that says, and Deborah told them to go destroy Jabin the king. What else are you going to do? You're going to go finish the job and take care of every part of this enemy until it is completely destroyed. Don't let roots, don't let people hang around. When the Israelites don't do this in the Bible, you know what happens? Some of these thorns stay around for Israel for the entire national history. God would say, go in and completely destroy them. And they go, eh, well, I don't know about this completely thing. And they would win, but they would always be, they would, it would always be a thorn in their flesh, always throughout the history of the people. Let me encourage you. Don't let there be thorns in your flesh. Don't let there be this kind. When God gives you a victory, when He gives you the strength, when He gives you the power, when He gives you the authority, when He tells you what to do, and you go do it, don't stop until it's finished. I hope this makes sense. So what is it in our lives that we don't finish out? Oh, I feel so good at the altar. Well, good. Good. I'm glad. Have you finished the deal? Maybe it's that it's going to take some time and you got to grow stronger and stronger and stronger in our time. Please. The last thing I want to do is negate what happens at an altar. I'm not trying to downplay that. I hope you guys understand that about me. Like, this is designed to help you to go beat the enemy. This is a starting point. It's an encouragement. It's a reviving. It's a, it's a lot of different things. It's to help you to go stronger and stronger. So that you can go kill the king of the enemy that's dealing with you in your life. The fear, the insecurity, whatever it is, why do I keep going back to those things? Because most of us fight that a lot. The people in our life that oppose, the family members that, that we feel like cause us, uh, we struggle against them and it feels like they're keeping us from God's will. They can't keep you from God's will. There's no way. So spiritually, we want to overcome these things. We want to be dominant. We want to dominate. We want to route. We want to allow the Lord to route the enemies in your life. Don't settle for anything less than the enemies being routed in your life. I don't want to be fighting the same things that I was 20 years ago. It's just not, I just can't do that. I don't presume that the problem is with somebody else. I, my makeup is to figure out my first thought always about everything is, what did I do wrong or what can I do better? Even when it should be someone else's responsibility, I'm just giving you a secret. My first thought is always, God, I wish I would have said that better. I wish I would have done that better. And then I go, wait a minute. They have a part in this too. <laughs> they need to just do it. Even if the vessel is weak and flawed that's telling you the message, can I encourage you that this message is for you tonight? Conquer every part of what God has for you. Don't let anything, anything, anything keep you from total victory in your life. If you're allowed to have the total victory which God has promised, why wouldn't you want to take it? We we visited with friends um, last night who were missionaries in Mozambique. I um, have some parents who live here in North Houston up in Cyprus, and so we were hanging out with them yesterday. And my friend was telling me about this certain person that was actually in our company. He said, that is the most negative person that I've ever met in my life. I was like, weren't you a counselor, like a professional Christian counselor for like 15 years? And he said, Yes, yes I was. And that's the most negative person ever. My comment to him was, why would you want to live that way? Why would you want to live in a place where that negativity, it just becomes so part of who you are. That is your character trait that everybody recognizes you for. Why do we want to be a believer and still be fighting with the same things that we did before? If I'm going to be fighting with it, it better be on a whole different level. It better be that I start fighting with it to help you to be able to conquer it. Like It it doesn't need to be just because I keep staying weak for year after year because after a while we start forgetting that we're the victor. We start getting where we think that the Sisera's and the Jabin's in our life are supposed to be ruling over us. That's not our place. We're God's people. Hey man, JJ, come on up. We're going to close. Judges chapter 4, story of Deborah. I hope this makes sense to you. I want the Lord to route things in our lives. I want Him to just route it. We're going to sing a worship song here, whatever JJ decides to sing. Perhaps we should all consider if, there's, if there are things in our life that have been subjecting us for too long. What do you need to route in your life? What victory do you need to get? What do you need to advance in and see the Lord completely route your enemy? Stand with me as we pray.